Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St. Paul's Theological Centre based in Holy Trinity Brompton here in London. Jane Williams, Mike Lloyd and the occasional guest join me, Graham Tomlin, in discussing God, life, theology, the Bible, in fact, just about everything. Well, hello and welcome to GodPod 73. All right. And uh, today we have um, the good old team. Hurrah. <laughs> which is Jane Williams. Hello. And Michael Lloyd. Hello. And myself, Graham Tomlin. And uh, we are in a slightly new venue today because... Um, Not just slightly new, Graham. Well, like a very new <laughs> venue. We uh, here at um, St. Melitus College, which is where we all work. Uh, we've just moved into our new... Um, Home, which is a fantastic new centre here in uh, the middle of London, in Earl's Court. And um, we spent rather a lot of money on it, but um, it's, uh, it's looking very good. It's a great centre for the college. And so we're sitting in a, in a new room now. Oh, it's very nice to have the old team here, isn't it? It's, no, yes, not it's so good. much of the old, but yes. Yeah. Oh, we're 73. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly. true. The other thing we have today is um, we are ceremonially eating a gift, which is that apparently, Jane, why don't you tell the story? Uh, when I went with my husband to New Zealand um, in 2012, towards the end of 2012, I found a GodPod listener there, which is lovely to know, and she very kindly donated some toffee crisp bites yeah. for us to eat and while we ni- record, and they're very, very good. Very nice they are too. They are deeply yes. grateful. So it's yes. called Toffee Pops and Bites. Uh, are you doing an advert here? Colin? I am actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, uh, it says, melt into a mini toffee pops moment. So I think this is one of them. So, so if you hear a eat. melting noise, that's what it is. <laughs> I'm about to eat. There you go. Put one in my mouth. Yep. Very good. Just to prove to um, our ah, virtual God them. pod listener in New Zealand that we are eating your very delicious toffee pops. They are very nice. So, um, after today, that test match special moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, the what? No, don't tell me. <laughs> they'll, under, they'll understand in New Zealand. Oh, will they? Okay, they will fair enough. We have a um, we have a conference coming up here in uh, St Melitus College, March the fourteenth to fifteenth, um, twenty thirteen. So if you're listening to this after that, too, too bad you've missed it. You can probably see it online. You probably can. Um, but it's the third in our series of conferences on the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in the world today, and it's uh, subtitled "Capturing the Imagination of the Culture." And um, the idea is to think about how the Holy Spirit in- inspires our engagement with culture and um, how the Holy Spirit relates to mission and all those kind of questions as well. We've got some great speakers coming. Francesca Murphy from the United States, Tom Greggs from Aberdeen, um, uh, Steve Holmes from uh, St Andrews, Julie Canlis also from Scotland, and a host of others, including some of us on our staff team. So if you're a um, wanting to come think a little bit more about uh, the theology of the Holy Spirit, about mission, culture, then uh, go onto our website, stmelitis.org, and uh, sign on to that um, uh, that conference. It would be great to, to see you there. So, with that coming up, we've had a number of questions that have come through about the Holy Spirit. Conveniently. Conveniently. <laughs> so we thought we would do a God pod focusing on that. So, Sounds good to us. The first one. Is from and to the Holy Spirit. Hopefully. Well, I'm not sure that we will sound good to the Holy Spirit. But. Yeah, the jury's out on that one. We'll see what happens. Um, the first one comes from um, uh, Paul Bile from Arizona, and uh, 
He says, I've just discovered your great podcast, or I just discovered your great cut podcast, probably. <laughs> and uh, his, his daughter is named Jane as well. I don't Hurrah. know about the UK, but it's not a very popular name here in the United States. It's considered old-fashioned, which is a good thing. Yes, I, it suits me very well. But <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, um, two questions that Paul has. The first one is this one here. Does the Holy Spirit actually reside inside of us? And does that mean the Son and the Father reside inside of us as well? So does the Spirit actually reside in us? When we talk about the Spirit dwelling within us, what do we actually mean by that language? Do we think of some kind of physical presence of the Spirit that could be detected by some um, anatomical search? What do we actually mean by that language of the Spirit dwelling within us? Well, I think the first thing to say is um, that God is Trinity in the Christian understanding, and that means that um, you can't divide out the persons of the Trinity. Um, you get three for the price of one, hmm. really. Um, so where God is, there is the Trinity. Now, it may be that one the action is focused in one person of the Trinity, but that doesn't mean that the other two are kind of off somewhere else. So wherever you get one, you get all three. You get a picture of that in a sense at the baptism of Jesus, where Jesus is the focus of the action, but you also have hear the voice of the Father and see the Spirit descending upon Jesus. Um, and I think, yes, in the sense that um, when the Spirit comes upon us, he brings the presence of the Father and the Son in with him, she, it. <laughs> um, uh, so what you do is you have the Trinity taking up residence within us in some sense. Or, or is it more helpful to think of us taking up residence in the Trinity? Well, I mean, that is the, uh, you have to have both those yes, things. Yes, because what one, uh, you know, one way of describing what the Holy Spirit does is to make us, is to build the body of Christ, to build Jesus wherever the Holy Spirit is present. There is Jesus-likeness, um, and so we're brought into the likeness of the Son through the power of the Holy mm. Spirit mm. so that we can call God our Father, uh, call the Father, Father. Um, in the son's voice, as it were. So it's. I, I think I find it easier to imagine that that the Holy Spirit brings us into the life of the Trinity. Um, yeah, I, I think that's it's right. I think one of the important lessons of pneumatology, which is the branch of theology that deals with the Spirit, is that it's always risky to talk about the Spirit without at the same time also talking about the Son and the Father that once we separate off the Spirit from the Son and the Father and make the Spirit into some sort of impersonal sort of force that um, attacks us or um, influences us in, in, in a different way, in a way that's not connected into the life of, the, of the, the rest of the Trinity, then we're on slightly dangerous ground. And there are ways of talking about the Spirit that does sometimes do that, that forgets that this is the Spirit of Jesus or that it's actually the Spirit who is sent by the Father. Mm. Um, and uh, I, I think it's quite interesting in the in the, the in the New Testament. It's not just it's not just that we said that the Spirit dwells in us. I mean, there's the text in Ephesians three where 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 it says how you know make that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Um, it's not just the Spirit who dwells in our hearts; it's Christ who dwells in our hearts. 
Now, how does Christ dwell in our hearts? I guess, strictly theologically speaking, we would say that Christ dwells in our hearts by the Spirit uh, who is sent to us. So I think what you say, Mike, is right, that, that it's um, you can't really parcel out the, the, the jobs of God and say, right, the Spirit does that bit and the Son does that bit, the Father does that bit. Every act of God involves Father, Son and Holy Spirit, and yet each of them have a... And one might say that each of them have a, you know, that each of the actions of God, there is sometimes maybe a, a kind of um, one of the, the persons of the Trinity is the one on whom that task is focused. So incarnation, for example, is clearly focused upon Christ. And yet it's hard to think about incarnation apart from the Father sending Christ into the world and the Spirit indwelling Christ coming upon him in the baptism and so on. And uh, immediately after the baptism, Luke tells us about him going off in the power of the Spirit. Mm. Yeah. Um, and that point is made time and time again in, in uh, the whole bit after the baptism in particular. Um, and you get that wonderful um, old hymn of the church, uh, Come Down, O Love Divine, which is addressing um, the Spirit. And uh, it has the phrase, um, till we become the place wherein the Holy Spirit makes his dwelling. Mm. Um, and I, th- I always, as I hear that, think... Wherein, therefore, the Holy Trinity makes there his its <laughs> dwelling, um, and 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 does their praying mm. that that actually something of the conversation of God, the communication of God, the interchange of love within the person of God between the person of the Trinity uh, comes within us and we are taken up into it and I agree with you Jane I think you have to have both the sense of um, God being out there and we being taken up into God but also I think the sense of God coming into our deep places and being present there Mm. and and acting as a wellspring as opposed to an unwellspring Mm. which is our usual Mm. mode of internal life Um, and I suppose the other thing I'm I would want to emphasize is that we we tend to talk about the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and because of the way our minds work and our culture works we think of that as a, a bit of God in me so it becomes quite individualistic whereas nearly always when the, that kind of language is used in the New Testament it goes on to say and that makes us one yeah. mm. so it's nearly always about God's activity to build this new community which is the body of Christ yes. um, so that the focusing on um, me and the Holy Spirit is actually losing a lot of the the real mm. theological depth of what is being said in those passages. And, uh, and when, it, when we talk about being a dwelling place for the Spirit, the New Testament again talks about that as much to do with the church as yeah. it does to do with individual Christians. Yeah. Again, I'm thinking of I mean, Ephesians is a text that is quite interesting on on all of this. The end of Ephesians two, you have this idea of how you know, in whom you also are built together into a dwelling place for God in the Spirit is actually what the Greek says mm-hmm. um, so it's 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 a communal sense it's not just that the spirit indwells me as an individual Christian to enable me to live the Christian life it's actually that the church is the dwelling place of God and in some ways it's by virtue of my being a member of God's church that the spirit dwells in me too so I don't I'm not the sole possessor of the spirit and this same common spirit brings and that the unity in the church is the gift of this same spirit at the same time yeah no, I, I think that's, that's absolutely right. <clears throat> you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The, the you, the you is plural. Yes. Yeah. Um, but back to this question of um, when we talk about the Spirit or Christ or, or, or God dwelling in us, 
Um, is it possible to be more specific about what we mean by that? Is that a metaphor? Is it simply a figure of speech? Um, presumably we don't think that you could take a scalpel and dissect a human body and find the Holy Spirit there in some molecular way. We don't think of it as a sort of physical presence in quite that way. But what do we mean? Well, Rowan Williams has this um, wonderful phrase that I've heard him use two or three times, which is that God does not compete with us for space. Hmm. Um, uh, so if he comes in, nothing else has to move. Um, and, and I sometimes use the little visual aid of if you have two glasses of water completely full right to the top uh, and try and put a golf ball into one of them, it will displace water. Hmm. Um, whereas if you try and put sugar in, it can actually take a vast amount of sugar without displacing any water at all. Mm. Uh, and that God is not like the former. He does not compete with us. He doesn't have to chuck stuff out, except the self-destructive stuff. Mm. Um, we need a vi- visual God pod. We need a kind of... We, we, probably, we probably do. A video God pod. Yeah, <laughs> we can't have it yet. <laughs> Keith is holding his head in his hands in this corner at this moment. As we can see, because there's no screen. <laughs> Carry on, Mike. Sorry. Whereas he's more like... Um, the sugar that pervades the whole of uh, the water uh, and sweetens it. Um, mm. And I think that God is like that with us. It is, is every part of us that he, you know, if, if mm. allowed and invited to do so, he will fill mm. with his presence. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's, it's a little bit like, I suppose, life itself within the body. You know, when you see a a, a dead body, it's not that you could... It's not that you could you actually dissect where the life exactly. You can't dissect a live was. body and find out the bit that's life yep. that makes a, a live body different from a dead body. Um, but it is something that animates that physical um, entity called a body, which is something we call we call life, biological life. And in the same way, it seems to me that the, the life of the spirit is a is again something that animates an extra dimension of life over and above the biological which again cannot be kind of isolated biologically and, and physically or anatomically, but is visible, present, visible in the sense of you can tell the difference. Again, you can tell the difference in a live body and a, and a dead one. Um, and, you know, the sense of you know, the, the spirit, the more intensely the spirit is present in a person's life, the more you can you can sense it in the sense that you can sense life in a, in a person. So I think that's kind of what it's saying. Which is it? why it's really very helpful that um, one of the biblical words for, for the Holy Spirit is breath. Mm. Yeah. Um, and actually the, the air we breathe as Christians um, is full of the Holy Spirit. It's um, yes. what animates and, us. And, and, and the Spirit does the same job within an individual that does in with... Um, community and that is unified and brings mm. some integration mm. to the otherwise warring and disparate parts of us and mm. um, brings some integration and therefore integrity um, it's the spirit of holiness uh, and of course there are theological traditions that suggest that the spirit is, is that which brings unity to the, the Godhead um, as well so that unifying integrating harmonizing healing and sanctifying role is, is what the spirit does yeah, and some of the fathers, I mean, Basil the Great talks about the Spirit as the one in who, whom we live. Mm. Not just that the Spirit lives in us, yeah. mm-hmm. but the Spirit is like the the air we breathe, like yes. the, the kind of water that a fish lives in, that the Spirit is the one in whom we 
we live here, which is, again, a slightly different, different metaphor for it. So there's a kind of quite a rich range of metaphors that's, that's used here, or more than metaphors, realities that are spoken mm-hmm. of when, when the, the scriptures talk about the spirit in quite mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, very um, good start. Thank you, Paul, for your question. And um, uh, gets us started on the Holy Spirit. Just moving on to another one, um, which I guess is related to it, which actually comes from our very own Keith. <laughs> Keith, Keith, is our, Keith is our technician. He makes these things happen. Keith's question, um, does the Holy Spirit come in waves? That's uh, very often in um, Christian circles, you, you hear the phrase that you know, we are praying for the Spirit to come. And um, you know, people talk about waves of the Spirit, uh, which are often associated with some kind of thinking about revival um, or that a new wave of the Spirit is coming. And again, it's a maybe it's a kind of metaphor, but the idea of a of a wave of the Spirit that breaks upon the church and then passes on and so on. So let's talk about waves of the Spirit. Does the Spirit come in waves, is or or should we think of the Spirit as a more ongoing, intense presence within the church? I, th- I think all of us would um, be able to identify times when we we when the Holy Spirit seemed to be more intensely with us and and periods of of, of the life of individual churches and so on where um the the, the holy spirit is palpable um in a way that uh, instead of sort of the, the background air that you breathe and i suppose actually if you take the breath metaphor it may be that you know, you know when you're training for a marathon or something as i always am that you need to breathe more deeply another chocolate that you need to breathe more deeply and intensely in order to in order to fulfil, you need to learn to breathe better in order to walk faster, run faster, and so on. That there may, you know, breathe. There may be times when actually you do need um, to for the Holy Spirit to be more intensely present if there's a particular task to perform mm-hmm. or a particular thing that you're being called to do. Yes, and and it's interesting. You know, we, we hear about the Spirit coming upon Jesus at his baptism. Mm. Presumably was, was Jesus wasn't without before, yeah, the Spirit exactly. before that. Mm. Uh, but the Spirit comes upon him in a new way for the new task of the public ministry that he's about to embark upon. Mm. Um, so I think that sort of thing happens. But I wonder whether the particular, particularly um, palpable senses of the Spirit are, say more about us than they do about the Spirit. It's not necessarily that the Spirit comes more at particular moments but that we are either more receptive at particular moments or more in need of a particular um, empowering the spirit at particular moments the, the, the spirit is always there always seeking to lure us into greater um, holiness and greater integration and greater depth of relationship with God and with others but um the form that takes will be different and some of those forms will be more felt by us than others is that yeah uh, to pick up your earlier point which I think was quite an interesting one Mike about um, unlike that last one which was very <laughs> boring indeed <laughs> all your points are very important yes thank you yeah is the right <laughs> but I just found your particular person sparked a thought in me um, which was oh maybe it was James I don't know <laughs> but, but it was this sort of uh, the spirit coming upon people for particular tasks mm-hmm. and you certainly that get that in me. the old testament that was you wasn't it Jane? <laughs> yeah yeah sorry <laughs> there we are. Mike. No, just Yours leave me with the boring ones <laughs> um 
And uh, you do get that in the Old Testament, don't you? The prophets, the Spirit comes upon the upon the prophets to enable them to speak oh. the word of the Lord. Um, yeah, and oh, yeah, this is the bit that Mike said about, about the Spirit coming on Jesus for the particular task yep. of, of of ministry. Um, and I wonder if if that's a way of thinking about these waves of the Spirit, or this this sense that sometimes individually or corporately we have of of a greater intensity of the Spirit's presence. That it's 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 not just for that we might sort of bask in this kind of warm bath of spiritual um, redox or whatever it is, you know, that, that that we just enjoy it. But there's a sense of which the Spirit comes for particular callings that 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 God has for us, um, giving us a greater sense of His presence, greater sense of strength, energy, insight, whatever it might be. Um, and that, therefore, when that when that happens, when either personally or corporately, you know, we have a sense of the a greater intensity of the Spirit's presence and calling, we're almost to ask the question: Okay, well, what what's is this for? for? Mm. Yes. It's not just so that we might have a nice time for a little while, but what's it for? Mm. And um, I often reflect. I mean, obviously, we, you know, one of the um, connections we have here is with um, with HDB with uh, Thirty Trinity Brompton and. and as many people know, I think in the early 90s there was a uh, HDB was caught up in one of these kind of waves of the of the spirit at, at that time. A great sense that many churches had at that point of great sense of blessing, a sense of the presence of God. Um, and actually, when you look back on that, what's the outcome of that been? And I think one of the maybe encouraging things about that is one of the outcome was this is this growth of the the Alpha movement around the world, many churches finding new ways of uh, reaching out in evangelism and many people coming to faith as a result. And it's an example, I think, of how, you know, kind of a greater intensity of the Spirit's presence is not just there for, for blessing. And you could easily do that. You could easily say, okay, you know, let's just bask in the Spirit's mm. presence for a while. But actually, that would be slightly miss the point. The point is, actually, w- what is God enabling us to do, commissioning us for, uh, what task is he laying before us? What's the outcome of this? And looking back historically, although it would have been very difficult to tell at the time, the outcome was this explosion of not just evangelism, but now um, all kinds of other ministries as well. So just one example of that happening. And I think that's a really important thing to say, Graham, because obviously the presence of the Holy Spirit is glorious and therefore those moments of intensity can be very addictive and you can look for those um, just keep looking. Yes, for yep. what feel like highs yes. in your spiritual life, sure. uh, and make it all about what mm. about that feeling that we mm. have. And so, actually, to say that the Holy Spirit is always working towards mm. the fulfilment of God's purposes, um, and uh, and if we're given yeah. intense moments of, of of the presence of the Holy Spirit, that then you, the question is, what's this for? Yeah. Is the, is the immediate question we should be asking. Yeah. And I think, um, for instance, the transfiguration is a very interesting point. It's a moment where they see Christ in, in his glory in a way that they haven't done before and, as far as we know, never do again. Um, and it's... Uh, but but what they see is what is always the case. Mm. He is always glorious. They just don't always see that. Mm. It's a little glimpse. Um, but then their task is to go down the mountain and get on with it without all that, mm. uh, rem- being re- reminded by it and inspired by mm. it, uh, and uh, but training themselves to remember it 
uh, and to act in accordance with it when they cannot see it, when it's not there, when it's not a high, when they simply mm. got on with the, get, got to get on with the, the drudgery sometimes, the drudgery divine, as, as uh, Herbert would call it, yeah. of, of everyday faithfulness. Yeah, the other, the other thing that certainly the early fathers used to talk about quite a lot in regard to the spirit was that the spirit's role in creation, mm. which sometimes we don't necessarily see. It's, it's, there's a verse in Psalm 104, I think it is, you know, when your spirit comes, he renews the face of the earth. And the early fathers had a strong sense that, that the spirit's role was to perfect created things. Mm. It's a big theme in Basil the Great and, and the Cappadocian fathers. You know, the spirit perfects created things. It's as if things were created perfect but not yet complete. They need to be brought to completion. They need to grow into into their fullness and it's the spirit who enables that to happen the spirit perfects all created things that includes us people that's why we talk about the spirit in terms of the spirit being involved in our maturing our growing as as human beings and as christian people but also the actual the earth the planet itself and if that is part of the spirit's work to perfect all created things um to renew the face of the earth then uh, Again, it seems to me that this um, this idea of, you know, if the Spirit comes in a very intense form on a particular person or church or, or period of history, the channel of that has always got to be into this work of the Spirit in perfecting the earth, not just a kind of private spiritual experience. Yeah. It actually plays out in, in work, for example. Yes. One of the ways in which we cooperate with the Spirit in, in, in bringing creation to its perfection is by by the work that we do that manages physical things and builds them into useful things that 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 um that are good for humanity and good for the, the um the environment and everything else um it's all part of art and technology all of that is what we do in in um bringing creative things to perfection and so uh so you know that the, there seems to be this this flow of the spirit not just for the blessing of the church but so that the church might be a blessing in itself to the rest of the world and I, I think in terms of spirituality too <clears throat> I remember somebody uh, giving a quite helpful analogy of um, when the rains come in a dry, dry place mm. um, if you haven't dug your irrigation channels it just bounces off flows away and doesn't mm. actually irrigate mm. the ground you have to do the work in the dry periods of just digging the channels mm. just faithfully in, mm. in terms of fleshing out the analogy praying and taking the sacraments and mm. fellowship with other Christians and all the basic mm. Mm. Um, mundane stuff of spiritual life and then as and when the rains come they have somewhere to go they can really make a difference uh, they can travel they can irrigate yep. they can nourish mm. very good how do we do Keith all right <laughs> he's nodding <laughs> off I think <laughs> <laughs> Very good. No, it's a really good question, though. It's really yeah, it's good. Um, so, moving on to uh, maybe the last one for today, um, which is a question about baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is from um, someone called Rachel. And Rachel asks the question I have a burning question about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. I've just attend attended a seminar on partnering with the Spirit and receiving the gifts of the Spirit. And my friend attended a conference a few days later, uh, and she told me that the person running this conference told the congregation that if you're not baptized, you, sorry, that you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit unless you receive the gift of tongues. I only started speaking in tongues recently, but definitely felt the Spirit washing over me prior to this. 
From a theological point of view, I'd be interested to know what the different arguments are. So, um, is speaking in tongues an infallible sign of the Spirit's presence? Uh, if you don't speak in tongues, can you be full of the Holy Spirit? What's the relationship between those things? Before we discuss that, can I just say one thing I, that, that I really like from from the question that is the phrase partnering the spirit or part, being partners mm. with the spirit that is exactly the biblical sense of of the relationship between the spirit mm. and us again it's god not competing with us for space yeah. uh, and and astonishingly astonishingly act going into partnership with it's us extraordinary that god is prepared to do that yeah. mm. quite quite yeah. extraordinary and, yeah. and the characteristic word of the relationship between us and the spirit is is fellowship mm. it makes us fellows Friends, friends, yeah. as we say in the grace, yes, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, exactly. Yep. Not that it comes and takes over, and some of our kind of Christian songs and whatever kind of invite God to take over in a way which I think doesn't quite reflect mm. the nuance of the biblical language, which is about fellowship and mm. partnership and mm. respect and uh, mutual cooperation, mm. which is, as you say, unbelievably gracious mm. and well, extraordinary, really. Thank you. So, but but that's just putting off the, evil the question. I have to answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I I think I want to say two things. Um, one is that it cannot. I don't think you can say in that completely all-encompassing way that people who do not speak in tongues are not baptized in the Holy Spirit, because um, we have. Uh, 2,000 years worth of, of Christian tradition in which some people mention speaking in tongues and some people don't and, and some of the other great um, f um, forefathers in our faith who've taught us so much about God and how to pray and how to, to live as Christians never mention speaking in tongues and I'm very unwilling to believe that they were not um, full of the Holy Spirit um, but, uh, but those who um, insist on this as a mark of, um, of of our Christian faith, I think are saying something really important about our willing our willingness to demonstrate our commitment, um, that this is this is we are moving into an area that is about um, God's activity and God's grace, not just about us, you know, doing our best and having a nice time, but actually willing to step into um, the unknown and 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 give up some of our autonomy and allow God mm -hmm. to work through mm -hmm. us. So, so um, insisting that actually, if we're going to be Christians, we have to be prepared um, to take a step into the unknown. I think that mm. uh, I do understand that mm. um, emphasis. Yeah, that's right. Uh, if there is an element of speaking in tongues, which is a kind of act of surrender, in yes. a sense, yes. it's an act of saying actually my own rational capacity, my own language my own ability to describe this in English or whatever language you speak is not enough to or somehow to, or to my ability to know what should be prayed for yes yeah yes. yeah that it, it's a kind of admission of inadequacy to say actually that I cannot contain this in normal human language and therefore something else takes over at that point so it seems to me that I'd, I'd want to say that that act of surrender is is vital absolutely to being baptized in the spirit to be full of the holy spirit whether it manifests itself as speaking in tongues or in some other way is, a, is another question and i think i'd i think i'd agree with you jane that i'd be reluctant to say that speaking in tongues is um an infallible sign of the holy spirit because you know um another, another way of putting the question if someone speaks in tongues are they necessarily full of the holy spirit 
Well, and there are, there are, of course, examples of glossolalia, as it's called, yeah. in the pagan world. Yes. Um, it, this yeah. is a phenomenon in a number of religious traditions, yeah. not necessarily Christian ones. Whereas mm. uh, I think we need a more specifically, if you're going to have a test, it should be mm. a, a, a Christological one. And, mm. and the one Paul gives, of course, is no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So if somebody says Jesus is Lord, that is what they, they stand for and believe, mm. then we have to accept that they have the Spirit. Because they wouldn't be able to say it otherwise. Mm. Whether they speak in tongues is very secondary to that basic confession. And of course, to, to say Jesus is Lord is to say something about who's in charge of your life and the world. Yes. So it, it, mm. the, the words will then be presumably um, demonstrate themselves in, in how you live your life. Um, so and, it, and in the fruits of the Spirit, exactly. of course. Yeah. Yes. Which is, I think, back to this point that you, you know, we never should never separate pneumatology from Christology. Yeah. In that, again, if we're looking for infallible signs of the Spirit's fullness, presence, baptism, whatever, it seems to me one of them has to be a, an increasing love for Christ, an increasing likeness to Christ. That if those things are absent, it raises some really big questions as to, to what degree is the Spirit present. And the more intensely the Spirit is present with us, the more our focus will be upon Christ and the more that, that something of Christ's character and and again and I know priorities will be will be part of us I feel I keep banging on about this today but that, but love for Christ is I'm afraid automatically going to mean commitment to the other people that Christ mm. loves mm. so again it can't be just an individual thing and it's interesting yeah. that, that Paul um, speaking into a situation where the dramatic gifts, uh, manifestation is the spirits are, are hugely valued at Corinth. And taken for granted. And, and yeah. taken for granted. Um, says, you know, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret. Uh, kind of, I th the implication seems to be no, mm. but I will, show you, I will show you a more excellent way, and it's the way of love. Mm. If you were looking for a mark, mm. Uh, mm. It's, it's the mark of love, because that so reflects the inner essence of who God is yep. uh, as he's revealed us in his Trinitarian form sure. yep. yeah I mean, I, I mean having said that I think often tongues can be a, a, a real um, as it's been called a sort of gateway gift into the love of God but for many people perhaps especially those of us who are quite proud of our rationality and, 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 and like to control things um, maybe we do need to open ourselves to the to the possibility of the gift of tongues, which is why for many people it of, that often is a bit of a breakthrough moment Absolutely. when yes. um, they suddenly find themselves able to speak in this um, strange language that that is sort of coherent, but you can't quite know what it what it means, uh, and so on. And it's um, uh, it's it's something which again is not it's not it seems to be something that. Um, there is a kind of act of surrender to do that. It's not just a, it suddenly comes upon you. Yes. I think most people who've spoken in tongues would, would say that. It's not just that suddenly this thing overtakes you. Back to your point, Mike, it doesn't, you know, God doesn't invade us and, and, and override us. But there has to be an act of response, an act of surrender, an act of willingness to open one's mouth, as it were, yes. to, 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 to allow this gift to, to arise amongst us. So it's not an infallible thing, but it can be an extraordinarily helpful one. I, I agree, and I think... Um I always see it as, as like writing God a blank check. I don't know what I'm praying when I pray in tongues. Yeah. Um, and therefore you, you have to trust that God will mm. do good. It is actually a, a, a very powerful 
implicit acknowledgement of, of the trustworthiness of God, mm. yeah. that he's safe. It's safe in the, mm. in, in the moral sense, in, in the goodness yeah. sense, not in the um, Mrs. Beaver sense. Yeah. <laughs> and it is worth saying also that, of course, the gift of tongues is something much wider than just in sort of Pentecostal or charismatic Christianity. It's something that, although as Jane says, you know, there are many, many of the saints down the years who've never, as far as we know, spoken in tongues. There are many instances in history of the church of, of things that sound very much like it. I mean, there are moments where Augustine talks about praying to God in a language which is not Latin or, or, or um, whatever other language he spoke. <laughs> he didn't have very good Greek. Presumably not. Um, and, uh, and again, you know, within, within Orthodox Christianity, there's a there's a, occasionally been a phenomenon of, of, you know, when they sing the Alleluia, the, the A at the end is sort of um, transformed into this 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 kind of um, improvisation with all kinds of different sounds and, and voices that, that happen. So, uh, you know, there, there are instances of this in all kinds of different Christian traditions, right, the way down through the, the ages. It's a, it's a gift of the whole church, not just of one particular part of it, which I think is, again, So it's a gift, and that's, I mean, we're always trying to sort of measure it and contain it and say who's got it and who hasn't, and mm. that forgets the gift bit, doesn't it? We have this remarkable propensity to take gifts and use them as means of dividing yes. rather than the, what the Spirit wants to do, which is to unite us yeah. uh, and, to, and to enrich us with the gifts. And yeah. So there we go. Very interesting little um, discussion on the Holy Spirit. Well, interesting to us anyway. It was. Great questions. Very yes. good questions. Thank you for everybody who's uh, emailed in questions uh, to us. And um, so just a little reminder, if you are interested in this topic and want to think a bit more about it, then uh, do come to our conference on um, March 14th, 15th, later on this year, 2013. Um, and uh, you'll find details on our website, stmolitis.org, the Holy Spirit in the world today. Um, so uh, I think that's it for today. Thank I you, think Michael. so. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Jane. Great pleasure. And thank you to Keith in the corner. <laughs> And, He's uh, got headphones on. He may be listening to something else. He's going to edit all of this out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he has the final control. Um, so that was GodPod 73, and uh, we'll be back with GodPod 74 before too long. That was GodPod, a podcast from the St. Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org.uk. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.